I'm going to ask you to take your Bible to the passage that Pastor Josh read to you out of Ephesians chapter 5 as we continue on our series as we celebrate together God's glorious grace. And we are coming to a section this morning that I want to take just a moment to set up for you as we come together around this portion of God's Word. And I want to acknowledge a couple of things as we start. Number one, the portion of Scripture that we are talking about this morning is very familiar to the Christian community and really even familiar to uh, to a lot of unchristian people. And I'm going to suggest to you that most of us come to a passage like the one we are looking at this morning with a lot of ideas and a lot of thought already given that shapes the way we think about this text. I know I did. And so we are either shaped by the tradition that we came out of or by the culture that we are in. Those are the two primary ways and places that shape how we think at any given time. The tradition that we came out of or the culture that is around us. And so when we come to Scripture, we often forget that there was a culture that was in play when these texts were given. And so what I'd like for you to do this morning, if if you can, is to set aside what you think you know about this text, and maybe what you've heard about this text, and come to this text with ears and eyes that maybe would come hearing it like the Ephesian believers and Christians would have heard it for the very first time. Now, I, uh, many of you have the sermon notes that are online. I'm, I'm going to be moving pretty quickly this morning for time's sake, so I'm not going to cover everything that I put in those notes, but there are explanations there that may be useful to you uh, over the week as you maybe hear something and you're like, hmm, I, I want to I look at that more deeply, and I want to invite you to do that. When Paul wrote what he wrote here in verse 22 through 24, he, he is writing to a group of people who have been chosen by God and made full members of his household. So everybody that is hearing and reading what Paul is saying, not just in the portion that we're going to talk about this morning, but the one that he talks to husbands in and children in and parents in and masters and servants, every one of those people have been called by God and chosen by God and made full members into the body of Christ. So he has chosen a group of people and made them full members into his household, and then he formed them into a community of people, a body of people, and he gave that body of people, that assembled group, to his son for his son to lead. And we call that group of people the church. And then he sent his spirit to indwell them, so they would be enlightened, and they would be equipped to use the gifts that had been given to them and enabled by the strength that comes from that spirit to live in ways that please him. And those people that had been called and chosen and granted full access into the family of God and had been formed into a community for the son to lead, the church, and that had been indwelt by the spirit, had been enlightened and equipped and enabled We're now given wisdom. 
They were given a particular wisdom by which they could accomplish the great purposes of God. And that wisdom is being articulated beginning in verse 22 and going all the way through verse 9 of chapter 6 to the members of God's household as they would live out their roles and their responsibilities in their individual households. So we want to look at this wisdom. That's where Paul is directing our eye, and that's where he's directing attention. As members of the household of God who have been so blessed by the Father, he has given to us a wisdom that comes from above, and that wisdom is going to be very counter to the wisdom that comes out of us, out of our own thinking. It's going to be very counter to the wisdom of the culture around us, and it's going to be very, very counter even to some of the tradition that we have heard and thought. So, so let's look at this wisdom this morning, and let's begin by noting its importance. This particular piece of wisdom that God gives, in this case, to Christian wives, occurs four times in the New Testament. There is, it's important because of its biblical context or its biblical prominence. It occurs four times in the New Testament. Let me give you those places so that you know where they are and you can actually look at them as we talk this morning and as you study on your own later in the week. The first place where they occur is here in Ephesians 5, and we're going to look at this text this morning. There's a briefer version of what Paul says to the Ephesians in Colossians chapter 3, verse 18. And in that particular text, he is going to talk about how we are to follow and support our leaders in such a way that prompts and cultivates love and affirmation from our leader. And then in Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, there's another major section that Paul gives to Titus when he is to counter false teachers and false teaching that have come into the household of God and are literally turning individual households upside down. And Paul says, now you tell and you teach these truths to those people, and you tell the older, mature spiritual men to teach the younger men to do this, and you teach and tell and instruct the older spiritual women in the congregation to teach and exhort younger women to do and to live like this. And so these are the four places in our New Testament where um, this uh, topic is addressed. Ephesians 5, Colossians 3, and Titus 2 all speak to it in terms of what you do in a home where the husband and the wife are both obedient followers of Jesus. But there's a fourth text, and Peter deals with this. What does a woman do when she is married to a non-believer? How does this instruction actually frame up in her life? And so Peter talks to the women in the body of Christ who, for whatever reason, whether it, it, it was that she uh, came to the marriage as an unsaved person and became saved after, or for whatever reason, she is now married to an unsaved man, or a, the, the word for that Peter uses is a disobedient to the word man, a man who's unsaved and, un, and doesn't follow the word and doesn't follow Christ. Peter says in verses 1 through 6 of chapter 3, there is wisdom for you. And we're going to look at that wisdom in particular next week. 
So, this wisdom is important because of its source, its biblical source and its biblical prominence. And you know the source of this wisdom. This wisdom comes from God. And Pastor Josh prayed just a few moments ago to remind us that whatever is being said here, whether it's to husbands or to wives or to parents or to children or to servants or to masters, this is coming from one who has grounded this instruction in his infinite wisdom. It's designed by his loving goodness. It is explained in an all-sufficient scripture. This scripture that is giving this information is, des- is described for us by Paul when he says, it is sufficient. Peter's going to tell us that it's, it's, it's available. It, it's not of any private interpretation. And the scriptures give their own testimony. If you live by the scriptures, you have everything you need for life. And for godliness, it's all sufficient. And then it's empowered by his enabling grace. And Paul, especially, is going to present it as an important component of gospel advancement. So this information is important because of its prominence in the Scripture and its source, but it's also important because of its purpose. There is a spiritual objective that God has in mind here. And so let me just stop here and say something to the entire body. And, uh, and particularly, husbands, I want you to hear this as we, we talk about this. The purpose of this wisdom, the objective of all of this, was not for your wife to advance the purposes of a particular male leader in her household. That's not why God put this in the Scripture. The objective God has in mind is not to make your life easier or to make your life happier. That's not why God is telling your wife to do this. There is a massive thing that God is doing, and when He gives this instruction to your wife, just like He gives particular instruction to you in your relationship to her, the idea here is not to make your life better. That's not why God is giving this instruction. In fact, when your wife actually follows the wisdom that God is giving her in these texts, it may actually make your life more difficult in places where you are not willing to come under the obedience of the Word. Because your wife has been given instructions about that as well. So I'm just putting it out there as we understand this wisdom. This wisdom has a purpose. And so what is the purpose? And I would, I would articulate it this way. The wisdom that God is giving your wife is to display something and to declare something and to demonstrate something by whatever this wisdom tells her to do. When she follows the wisdom, she is going to display the beauty of shalom. There is a shalom that God has made, and we've spent several weeks talking about that. And when your wife uses this wisdom, one of the things that she displays is the beauty of shalom. There's another thing that, that's happening in this that's way beyond making your life as her husband better or just filling out the tasks that you left for her to do when you went to work that day. There's something much bigger that God is doing here. He is using your wife 
to display shalom, but he's also using your wife by giving her this wisdom to declare his triumph over his enemies. All through the book of Ephesians, there are spiritual enemies in high places, and they are disobedient to God, they are disrespectful to God, and they are disordered in their relationship to God. They refuse to submit. And when they do come, they do not come with glad, joyful willingness. And we have the picture that we looked at last week when we went to Job 1 and 2, and we saw how God had to force Satan to give his due report. So the picture in heaven is that there are an immense amount of wicked forces who are disobedient to God, disrespectful of his glory, and completely disordered to his authority. You could say it this way. They are unsubmissive at a cosmic level. And you can go to the backwaters of the universe and you can find a little tiny planet. And on that planet are image bearers. And some of those image bearers are women. And some of those women have been enlightened and enabled and instructed. And they are doing every day on earth what these wicked forces are not doing at a cosmic level. And the entire universe is watching. And they want to know, how how is it possible for that woman to render that service to God? And the answer is, because of the triumph of her Lord over the powers. That's a stunning thing. That puts it way beyond, I've got a task list that I need my wife to do today. And she's demonstrating an amazing thing. She is demonstrating the power of grace to enable her to know and to do something that is so counter to the culture around her and that is so counter to her own natural flesh. And yet she does it with grace and beauty and gentleness and meekness and joy. And it isn't just her children that see that, and it's not just her husband who's blessed by that, and it's not just a little community of faith that she's a part of that witnesses that. That is being exalted and celebrated at the very, very highest places in the universe. That's why this matters. That's why this is important. So that's the first thing we need to see. Secondly, notice the recipient's Who gets this wisdom? And you're sitting there going, well, Pastor Sam, that's easy. Wives get this wisdom. And I want to stop you right there. Everybody gets this wisdom. I mean, it's not like God said to everybody, okay, check out and and go read, uh, you know, John or, or, or hang out with Peter for a little bit while I talk to the wives. That's not how it worked. God wanted everybody in the body to hear all of this information at the same time. 
So who gets this wisdom? All genuine believers. Every genuine believer gets the information at the same time so that the expectations as well as the objectives are clear so that everybody knows them and everybody understands them. God is informing everyone. He is inspiring everyone to do their part and he is instructing and, and encouraging every member of the body to help all the other members of the body do their part. So you may be single here this morning and say, I have no idea why I need to be in a service that's talking to women about something that isn't true about me. Or you may be a husband and saying, I am so thankful that you're talking to my wife. I've got some stuff I'm going to do. I'm going to be thinking about praying about. I really don't need to hear this. Or you may, you may be a person that, that basically has said, you know, I don't think I'm ever going to be married, so I don't think this information really sits with me, doesn't apply with me. But God gave this information to the entire church. So there's something he wants you to know as he gives you this information. So it's given to you in general. It's also given to Christian husbands. You say, why would God talk to Christian husbands about their wives? Because God wants the Christian husband to know that he is the one asking the wife to do this. And that the wife's obedience is not to him alone, it's actually to Christ. This is her obedience to Christ. And here's the point. If you make it hard for her to obey Christ, you have not done a good thing. This is an obedience that she is to render to Christ, and it has to do with you. So make it easy for her to obey Christ. If you put her in a wrestling match between obeying you and obeying Christ, you have put your wife in a very, very bad spot. And God already told her who she's supposed to obey in that condition. And who is she supposed to obey? It's okay to talk. Who is she supposed to obey? When you put her in a place where she's either going to obey you or obey God, who does God tell her to obey? God. So you can't get frustrated with her for obeying God. And that's why it is incredibly important for every Christian husband to understand not just what God said, but how God said it and why God said it. Because your wife's obedience is not only to you, it is to somebody much higher. And that person and her obedience to him trumps any obedience in any context, right? And I'm, man, this is, the, you know, Pastor, can you go back to the wives piece? Okay, all right, so that's the third thing. <clears throat> okay, it's to all believers in general, it's to Christian husbands, and then it's to Christian wives. So let's talk about the wives that were being addressed, okay? Paul is going to give three statements, one in Colossians, one to Titus, and here in Ephesians. So think about where these women were. They lived in Ephesus, right? They lived at Colossae, and they lived on the island of Crete. They did not come out of Jewish backgrounds. They came out of 
pagan backgrounds. They came out of Gentile backgrounds. They would have been shaped up and framed up for many, many, many generations in what it was like to worship a certain set of gods and to live in a certain set of ways with a certain set of expectations. And so that's the first thing you want to keep in mind as you read what Paul is saying to these wives. Now, let me give you a couple of other things. Most of these women that Paul is addressing would have been married by the time they were 15 years of age. Most of them would have had maybe two or three or sometimes even four children before they were 22 years of age. The average lifespan for a woman that was being addressed in Ephesians, Colossians, or even in Titus would be somewhere between 30 and 45 years of age. She would be typically married to a husband that was much older than her. Her marriage would have been arranged by her father. She would have grown up in her home, and in her home, her absolute loyalty, her absolute obedience was to her father. Her father had absolute control over every single part of her life. That's what she would have embraced. When she got married, her father, in the ceremony, would take her hand and put her hand in the hand of her husband, and that part of the ceremony would actually display the passing of the transfer of his authority as a husband to her new husband, or as a father to her new husband. And it would symbolize that now her loyalty or obedience would now be to her husband. And this ceremony was called manus, because Latin for hand is the word manus. And so they would put their hand, and this ceremony would be the transfer of authority. However, by the time Paul wrote this, many fathers did not want to lose this person's loyalty and allegiance, and it would be very, very profitable to have this daughter married to this man in his household working for his agenda. And so by the time Paul is writing, it was very, very common for fathers to marry their daughters and not do the ceremony, indicating that, yes, he is now your husband, and you do need to obey, and you need to follow him, but your ultimate allegiance and your ultimate loyalty is still to me. Are you catching this picture? And so when Paul writes this information to Christian wives, he is putting all of that on its head. He is saying to that woman, it doesn't matter what the culture told you. It doesn't matter what the ceremony said. There is a creation design behind all of this, and that creation design is that when you marry your husband, your allegiance and your loyalty go to that husband. And this is going to be sort of stunning to the households at Ephesus and at Crete and at Colossae. So that's the background to all of this, all right? That's who's getting this wisdom. Let's talk briefly about the motives. What what is it God is up to? why, Why are... Christian wives exhorted by Paul and later by Peter to do this. And and so let me give you four things that I think will kind of help in this way. Why are Christian wives instructed based on creation design and, and gospel purpose to submit to the right man 
in righteous ways for righteous purposes. Maybe we could say it that way. We could frame up the question that way. Why are Christian women following creation design and gospel mandate instructed to arrange themselves under the right man for righteous purposes in righteous ways? And, And Paul's answer to that is this. This is what pleases God. This is what pleases God. And, and there are two texts that, that talk about this in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 through 10. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And then he talks about what that looks like. The fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And then he exhorts people who are walking this way to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And then in Ephesians 5.17, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So what this wisdom is doing is is explaining to you this is the will of God. This is what pleases him. You're, you're, You're supposed to find out what pleases the Lord. You're supposed to walk in that wisdom. Well, here it is. This is what pleases him. And secondly, this is what Christ commands, and this is what he merits. Think about how wives, and and men, this is very important for us, think about why wives are told to do this. You are to submit to your own husbands, and here's why. As to the Lord. In other words, this is your obedience to Christ. It's not that your husband merits this obedience. Christ merits this obedience. You're doing this... Because Christ told you to. And so he is the one behind this. He is the one who merits this. Even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and he is himself its savior. And then on top of that, as the church submits to Christ, so also should wives submit in everything to their husbands. In other words, he's coming back and he's saying to wives, look, this is is how you're to do it. But more importantly, this is why. And and the why is because somebody you love and trust, somebody who has never failed you, never hurt you, someone who is always working for your good and his glory, has said, this is what I want you to do. Trust me. So Christ commands and merits this. And then number three, this is fitting to sound doctrine. That's what we find in Colossians chapter 3.18, wives submit to your husbands as is fitting. This is what's appropriate. And more importantly, in Titus chapter 2, Titus, as for you, teach what accords, what lines up with, what is appropriate with sound doctrine. And, and then he tells Titus, now this is, this is exactly what I want you to teach, and this is who I want you to teach it to, and this is what I want them to do with what I've taught you. You go and teach it, and then older spiritual men are going to take it and model it and teach it and encourage it, and older spiritual women are going to take it, model it, and teach it. And, and this is what accords, this is what fits sound doctrine. And, and, and then number four, this is what will advance and protect the gospel. Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine, Verse 1, look at the end of verse 5. That the word of God, 
the message from God, the message about God, the message that, that has been given to the church as the pillar and ground of truth, that message might not be reviled. That's the idea of blasphemed. That, that people who are watching the church and who are encountering the church and experiencing the church would not come to wrong conclusions about the word that the church bears about God. That they wouldn't mock it, they wouldn't revile it, they wouldn't blaspheme it on the basis of something they are seeing in the church that God said, now I don't want that there. I don't want you doing it that way. And so when you start thinking about the motive for this wisdom, the motive for this wisdom has nothing to do with making the husband's job easier or his life better. That's not why this wisdom is is there. And so, you know, I think it's important for us to acknowledge that if, if we're really going to understand how as a body, as a church, God expects us to receive this wisdom. And that brings us then to the fourth thing this morning, and that is, okay, so we, we know about the importance of it. We've talked about who gets it, all of us. We've talked about the motivation behind it. What is its particular content? So what does God actually tell husbands and wives? And so we're going to talk about what God tells husbands and wives by looking, first of all, at what he says to wives, and then we're going to talk about what God tells husbands and wives by looking at what God says to husbands. And so what does God say? And, I, and we looked at four texts, and so this morning let me give you three of them, and then next week we're going to come back and we're going to sort of boundary out one of them and talk about, okay, what do I do if I'm in a marriage where the Word of God is not being honored? So what am I supposed to do when I'm in a Christian marriage and I'm married to an imperfect man or an imperfect woman, but that imperfect man and that imperfect woman loves God, follows God, and desires to serve God? How do I navigate marriage as a Christian wife? And and Paul says, all right, I'm going to give you three places And each of the places is going to have something for you. So place number one is here in Ephesians 22, 24. And we could summarize it this way. As a Christian wife, you support your husband's leadership as he follows Christ. You could sum up everything that Paul is talking about in this Ephesians passage. And he is saying to a Christian wife, get behind and support the leadership of your Christian husband as he strives to follow and obey the Christ he loves. Put your full weight behind him. Give him your unequivocal support. Follow his leadership willingly and wholeheartedly. Submit to your own husbands in this way. And the idea there, the way Paul used that word submit, the context of how that's all framed up grammatically in that sentence is that this is something that you are to do voluntarily, that this is to come out of your own willingness, that you would willingly get behind your husband's leadership and you would support him and you would put your full weight behind him and that you would do so willingly and wholeheartedly in your own service to Christ. In fact, that is the model that that wives are given because every wife, every Christian wife is part of the church. 
You're already doing this as a church. As a member of the church, you already know what it should look like when you get fully behind and you fully support the leadership of Christ over the church. You do that instinctively. You do, now, you don't do it perfectly, and sometimes you find yourself having to be corrected by the word, and the Spirit of God has to convict you, and you do have to at times turn in a different direction than maybe what you were doing, but you know instinctively as a member of that body what it is like to render glad, willing, joyful support to the leadership of your head, Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying, take everything that you've learned in that relationship and bring it to this relationship. Just like you give glad, full support to your husband, to the head of the church, bring that glad, full support to your husband's leadership. And do it willingly and wholeheartedly and speak into it and give him wise counsel and and give him good support in every area of your marriage, just like you follow and support Christ in every member of the church. And a Christian wife might raise her hand quietly and say, but Paul, I'm in a really difficult spot because when I got married, my dad did not put my hand in my husband's hand. And so it's not just that I'm supposed to be loyal to this husband I'm married to, but I have formal obligations and legal obligations to my dad yet. And I've got to do what he tells me to do, and I've got to be loyal to his agenda in this marriage. And Paul is saying, absolutely not. It doesn't matter what happened in the ceremony, and it doesn't matter what happened in the culture. The head of the church, the head of the body, the creator who designed it all is telling you what to do about that. You are to give your full allegiance and your full loyalty, not to your dad, but to your husband. Yeah, but, but my dad is, is working uh, the, this business arrangement out through my marriage to my husband, and it's a really big one, and, 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 and he's telling me to do things that are going to make it better for him, but, but my husband is telling me to do things that, that really are, and, and, and I'm, I'm just torn, and God says, let me remove the tension. You are to give full allegiance and full loyalty and support to one man under Christ, and that is your husband. You're to respect your father like any child is, You're to honor your father, but you are to give your full support and your full allegiance to the the man that God has placed in your life to lead you. And that is your submission. And that's what he's talking about here in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Support your husband's leadership in every area of your marriage as he follows Christ. Don't carve out a little area that your husband doesn't speak into. Don't, don't say, okay, this is, this is me alone, or this is me and my dad, or this is, this is my little area. This is you giving the same kind of full support and full loyalty and full allegiance in every area to your Christian husband just like you give it to Christ. That's the idea. All right, number two. Make it easy for your husband to love and serve you. Do what you can to make it easy for your husband to love and serve you. You're like, where does it say that? Colossians chapter 3. So let me have you turn there to Colossians chapter 3. Look at verse 18. 
Wives, submit to your husbands as it is fitting in the Lord. Well, Pastor Sam, it doesn't say one thing about making it easy for my husband to love me. Remember what I said? This information is being given to husbands and wives. They are both hearing all of the information. So you got to go to verse 19. And in verse 19, there is a danger that God warns every husband about. And that danger is this. Look at verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Now, I'm reading out of an ESV, but the word Paul used when he wrote this is the word for bitter. It's the word sour. It's it's what happens when you put something in your mouth and you thought it was going to have this taste and it actually had this taste and your mouth immediately does something. You ever do that? I mean, you thought it was a pickle and you got all ready for that and it was a jalapeno. That actually happened to my grandmother. She actually said a bad word when that happened. The only time I ever heard my sainted grandmother ever say something untoward was when she thought she was going to put a pickle in her mouth and it was a jalapeno. And And here's what God says to Christian husbands. You have married a wonderful daughter of God, but she's like you. She's imperfect. She has a flesh, and she's not going to get it right all the time. And there are actually going to be times where, where she's going to do things. It's going to be hard for her to submit to you. It's going to be hard for her to follow you. And, and if, if, if you're not careful, you can become very sour. That's a warning that God gives to every husband. And if I'm a Christian wife and I'm listening to that warning, I want to do everything I can in my power outside of disobeying God or Scripture to make sure that I'm not contributing to what's going to make my husband sour. And by the way, that goes both ways, right? It's not just you doing that to your husband. Husbands are supposed to do that as well. But in this context, we're talking about the information that God gives to wives. So do what you can. Cultivate by the Spirit's power what makes it easy for your husband to love and serve you. And that isn't necessarily that you do all the little tasks that he tells you to do. It's not what this is talking about. This is talking about cultivating a spirit in your life that is so attractive your husband loves that spirit. And that's the third thing that we see here. And that is in uh, Titus chapter 2. So love and serve God by loving and serving those in your household. Love and serve God by loving and serving those in your household. Look at Titus chapter 2. Titus, as for you, teach what accords to sound doctrine. Older women, we're just jump right down to what older women are supposed to do. Older women, after modeling certain behavior, are to teach what is good. And in this way, train or encourage younger women to love their husbands and their children. For years, I heard preaching that says God never told the wife to love her husband. He only told the wife to what? Obey. Well, here's a text that actually tells the wife to love her husband and her children. 
And that shouldn't shock us, right? That's exactly what should mark all of us. We should love one another. So train the young women to love their husbands and their children. They are to cultivate a specific heart response toward their husbands and their children. And it is way more than just sacrifice and serving. It's genuine love and affection. Where you genuinely love and have affection for those that God has placed in your home. And then cultivate Christian character. What does that look like? It looks like self-control and spiritually pure living. Train the young women to love their husbands and children to be self-controlled and pure. The idea there is, is spiritually clean. They're not involved in carnality or sensuality or wickedness. That is accepted to God. And, and then notice, they are to cultivate and display a consistent approach to their role and responsibility. Diligent oversight of the management of the household affairs in ways that are good. Virtuous is the idea here. So this is a very different picture than a woman who just kind of sits and waits for the task list and her husband says, this, here's your jobs for today. And, and he comes back and he hands her the task list and says, I got nine of them done. I need this stuff over here before I can do the 10th one. This is talking about a person who has unbelievable skill and ability and, and is able to manage a complex household. I mean, go back to where these people were living. Go back to the fact that this household had, had all kinds of tentacles in the culture around it. Her husband had standing in the community based on what happened in his household. The economic advancement of the household would often happen by what happened inside the household and how it was managed. And so think of a person who's actually managing a complicated organization. And, and Paul is telling this person, do it with diligence. Do it with, with wholeheartedness. And by the way, for all of us husbands who have wives, most of our wives were wired to do those kinds of things. If you go to Proverbs 31, look at the description of that woman. She's not sitting at home waiting for you to tell her what to do. And so here is this amazing portrait. And then number four, they are to display the appropriate social and personal decorum by arranging themselves under and supporting the leadership of their husband as the head of the household. So love and serve God by loving and serving those in your household. And that brings us to the last thing this morning that I want to talk about, and, and that is this. Are there any boundaries to this? I mean, so obviously this is important. Paul talks about it in the scriptures three times. Peter talks about it a fourth time. The recipients are Christian men and Christian women who have been enlightened by the Spirit of God, enabled by that Spirit, strengthened and fortified by grace. There's a huge purpose and objective behind this that God is working out on a cosmic level, and there are specific things that God has said to Christian wives, and, and next week we're going to find out, or the week after rather, we're going to find out what he has to say to Christian husbands. But, but these instructions are the wisdom that will accomplish what God is trying to accomplish at a cosmic level. So what are the boundaries? And there are. There are important 
and significant boundaries that God wants every husband to know that he has placed on your Christian wife. And he expects her to live by those boundaries. And here are the boundaries. Number one, whatever this instruction is, it is to happen in your own household. God does not expect a Christian wife to render this kind of arrangement and submission to every male that is in her life. This text is not telling Christian women they cannot ever have authority over a Christian man in some other arena of life. This is talking about a very specific arrangement, and that arrangement is is to a very specific individual, your own husband. And this is to be to the Lord. And again, we talked about this earlier. Whatever is happening here is her obedience to Christ. This is, she, she, God is not telling your wife, okay, check obedience to me and put it off to the side and obey your husband. He is saying to her, you obey me, and in this relationship, here's what it looks like. But that's not the end of his instruction and his expectation of her obedience to him. So whatever obedience she renders, it is not to you, it is to the Lord. It is to be like Christ follows the church. The church is never, ever given permission by God to violate something God expressly commanded or prohibited in the name of serving Christ. Hey, I'm serving Christ, and this is why I'm doing it, and you're going, no, 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 but but God told you not to do that. Or you're not doing something, God told you to do it, and you don't get to say, well, I'm following Christ, and that's what I'm supposed to do. You don't get as a church or as a member to violate clear commands or expectations of Scripture in the name of following Christ, and your, and your wife, husband, does not get to do that either in her marriage to you. We are to follow as the church follows the Lord. So let's get real specific about what this means. Husbands, here's what, here's what God expects of your wife. She is not to render obedience to you when following you violates a clear command of Scripture. If you ask your wife to do something that God told her not to do, you cannot get frustrated with her for obeying God because that's what God told her to do. And you're going to find out next week that your role is to promote and facilitate her obedience to God. And so when you're actually pushing her to disobey God, she cannot follow you. Secondly, she must not follow you. She must follow Christ when following you clearly compromises her relationship to Christ or violates her conscience because you asked her to engage or support a behavior that her conscience does not allow her to do. And you've got to be very clear on that. She cannot follow you when following you causes her to violate Paul's clear command to love and care for the people God has put in her trust. When you are doing things that damage people that God cares about, that are in her life, Her first loyalty is to God and not to you. 
So when you do things that damage a child or you do things that, that damage her or that you do things that, that are clearly damaging or destructive to the life of a child or you do something that the laws of this country tell you not to do, your wife has a very clear responsibility. She cannot turn a blind eye to that. Remember I said to you at the beginning that sometimes a woman's submission to her husband is actually going to make the husband really uncomfortable? Here's why. Her submission to you is trumped by and, and actually occasioned by her submission to Christ. And when you are damaging and destroying something that matters to Christ, a person, then your wife has an obligation. And I want you to hear it really clear. Your wife has an obligation to the Lord about that. She is not being unsubmissive to you when she says, you can't do that. You must not do that. You will not do that. You you can't do that. You must not do that. And you will not do that. She's not being rebellious to you when she's telling you that. She's not arcing her back and bowing her back in pride and saying to you, I am not going to submit to you. She's actually saying to you, I have a higher submission to somebody that's above both of us. And I'm not going to give answer to him through you. I'm going to give answer to him directly. So this is a massively important piece of information. And you're not to follow your husband when following your husband facilitates his own sinful behavior or the sin of others. I mean, these are big boundaries. I don't know about you, but growing up, I didn't hear these boundaries talked about a lot. I heard a lot about wives... Obey your husbands, you know, just whatever they tell you to do, just do it and duck and then let God hit your husband. And, and there is some truth to that. I mean, God does have a way of flattening your husband out a whole lot better than you can. But I'm just suggesting to you that as you look at the context of what's being actually taught here, this is not like blanket submission that, you know, just whatever your husband tells you to do, you do. There is a higher submission. There is a higher authority over both of you. And that authority is the one who is telling you to render this kind of submission to a husband. And and he's also boundarying what that looks like to a husband. And that brings us really to the final reason. Why is it like this? That the word of God might not be reviled. In heaven or on earth. That when you live this way as a Christian wife, God highly values this. He highly exalts this. There's something much bigger than just making an earthly husband and a little earthly household happy. This is, this is something that is being communicated at the highest level of the universe. It's being ordered at the highest level of the universe. So, Pastor Sam, what do I do if I'm married to a man who doesn't follow Christ? And everything he's telling me to do puts me in a place where I'm, I'm having to follow unsaved thinking or unregenerated thinking. I'm being asked to worship as gods. I'm being asked to go to temple ceremonies 
as his wife. I'm being asked as the head of this household, the, the, the head organizer of everything that goes on in the household to arrange parties in our home for his friends that are going to come. And in those parties, there are going to be horrible debaucheries that take place. What do I do? How do I deal with that as a Christian wife? And Paul says, well, I have a good friend and his name is Peter. And he actually wrote a letter. And so you come back next Sunday and your pastor is going to take you to Peter. And I'm going to let Peter answer that question. So that's what we're going to do next Sunday, all right?